that show with I'm on that show with Court and he will openly admit that he can't beat me. Like he can't he always gives in to me. That's all, all I have to do is keep talking. That's all I have to do. I just keep talking. I don't shut up and eventually they just all give in. Just just use your Adam and Eve just use your Adam and Eve voice there, Jamie, and you swam it off. Done and done. <laughs> just use that Adam and Eve voice. It's not that hard, you know. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey. Mm-hmm. Use code Booth. B O O T H. There it is. There it is. Wow. There it is. Seven free gifts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those are fun to do. I like doing those ads. Yeah. Don't We're, stop. Oh, see, listen. I'll hit the mute button, okay? Don't come all at once, okay? <laughs> Welcome to Send Me Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gary. With me tonight, with a gander in the room, if that's what you call a, a series of chicks, little chicks. Iris is here. How you doing? Hi, how's it going? Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> Fine. Oh, I'm doing well. How you doing there, beardy man? Nothing. I was making jokes about your your uh, your chicks. I know, room. my little babies. I hope you can't hear them. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just letting people know they're there, just in case they do hear them. They won't care or anything. We we were dogs barking, cats meow, all kinds of shit on this show, so it's fine. <laughs> well, now we have chicks. Yes, we have chicks now, so we're we're uh, adding a whole new animal to the show in a way. <laughs> but with us tonight is also Jamie is here. How you doing? Hello. That was bad. English. That was bad English, by the way. But you're welcome. You know. Bad English. I used to like that band. There we yeah. Uh, I am doing okay. I um. I also have a myriad of animals surrounding me. And then um, I have pets, too. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> I sound so so bored, but I'm not. Really. This is the, the conversation we just had before we went on the air is, uh, it's amazing. It's all recorded, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there. But <laughs> Oh, goody. <laughs> oh, goody. Yes, indeed. I feel like I'm recording with Mike Merriman. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're here tonight, and I'll ask Jamie first what she's been watching. Oh, my. Let's see. Uh, lately, we have been doing something kind of weird. and I don't know why, but we've been doing uh, just sort of a random watch thing where um, we each just pick a movie So uh, each night. So basically, we watch two movies a night is what we've been doing uh, lately. And it's been totally random stuff. Like last night, Brian chose Day of the Dead 
out of nowhere, like he just got up, went to the shelf, picked Day of the Dead, and then after he was done, I got up, went to the shelf, and grabbed. Oh well, last night I grabbed History of Violence, and that's because obvious reasons. But um, the night before that, uh, I just jumped up. Oh, he got up, chose a midnight meat train. I got up and chose one hour photo. So it's just whatever we feel like watching that we haven't watched in a long time. You just get to pick and the other person just goes with it. And it's it's kind of fun because it's what what I guess how that came about is because we realized that it takes like two hours sometimes to go through Amazon Prime, to go through Netflix, to go through Shutter, to go through everything. And, and then plus all of the massive collection that we have, the physical collection, and still have like find nothing to watch. And like, why is this taking so long? We have so, so many thousands of movies. Oh, and Voodoo too. We have so many thousands of movies at our fingertips through all these streaming services and everything else. And we can't decide on anything to watch. That's ridiculous. So that's when Brian was like, you know what? I'm just making a decision. So he got up and that's when he picked Midnight Meat Train. So um, that's kind of what we've been doing. And it's fun. I like it. I like the, just the sort of, I'm doing it. You're going to watch it and you're going to like it. And, you know, I mean, we try to be thoughtful. I, I wouldn't pick Gone with the Wind, you know, <laughs> but. <laughs> you got to pick something bad. So he makes a face at you every once in a while. No, yeah. because then he'll pick something I don't like and and he'll do it on purpose out of spite. Well, that's, and, that's uh, the fun part about it, right? Great to be married. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we've been doing that. We watched the um, <laughs> riff tracks for Berserker the other night, and that was fun. That was fun with the riff tracks. I don't recommend watching it any other way. Um, that's another th- fun thing to do. If you do ever l- l- want something to watch, Amazon Prime has a huge riff, riff tracks collection. So um, we'll sometimes just surf through that and see um, see what's up. And those are always fun to watch. I like doing that. And, um, I guess most recently at the theater, we saw Ma and, uh, I really liked it. I did. I think Octavia Spencer did an incredible job. She always, she always brings it though. I've always enjoyed that actress. Oh yeah. She's great. It does. Even in silly stuff. I like her in, uh, she's lost Jamie for a minute. I'm sure she'll be back very soon. Iris, what you been watching? Well, besides what I was going to watch for you know, our show, I have been on weird documentary type of strings of movies. And I watched this one called Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, which is from um, this group called Small Small Town Monsters. Look them up because they got really interesting stuff. <clears throat> you know, if you like to watch stuff on Mothman and things like that. Um, this one is basically about... The Kecksburg UFO incident in Philadelphia in 1965. And it's really interesting. It was like in Pennsylvania. And I don't know if you guys have heard about the Kentucky Goblin um, invasion. No. Which was uh, these guys out in Kentucky. They saw UFO land and these little green goblins were coming and did they have pumpkin bombs to throw in? No. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, but uh and they reported this and and you know you could see where they were shooting out their windows and everything. It was kind of interesting, but it's kind of like the same thing 
these things come down and they terrorize, you know, a family in a town. And it's kind of interesting. And then I was, um, funny that you mentioned the relic because I had just watched that one Mm. and I really love the movie, but you know what? Do you like listening to books? Ah, Occasionally. Yeah. Get the book because the book is so much better than the movie. I mean, by tons. I can appreciate it because they, they, it was a nice mix of um, real creature work with, with, with whatever CGI had they had back in those days. Yeah, yeah, and the creature is the creature is so much better explained in the book than in this movie. Mm. And then, of course, I've watched a Human Tornado because we're going to be doing that. And uh, oh, and the Duel. I hadn't seen that in so long, and I forgot how much I love that movie. What's what's the duel? We're not talking about a truck, are we? The, the, the... Yes. No, okay. no, no. This is, well, yeah. It's basically uh, Dennis Weaver and the, they're out in the desert. Highway oh, I and love the... that movie. I know what film, but I, just sort of, I, just, I, I thought it was another film called The Duel, not Duel. Yeah, no, this is called Duel. Okay. And it, well, you know, it's Stevie's, I think this is Stevie's first full-length movie. It was, yeah. It's a TV movie. And it was a TV movie. Yeah, yeah and it was... Excellent. God, I love this movie. Yeah, I'm uh, crazy about it. Everything. I mean, some really amazing shots. Mm-hmm. Um, just it, uh, you can see like it from the very beginning where you get the shot from the front of the car, like when he's pulling out of the driveway and yeah. starting to drive. You can see that Spielberg has some interesting ideas, like right from the very beginning. And I I just I absolutely love it. I love the dinosaur roar. Um, that's the same sound that they used in Jaws. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Smiley, son of a bitch. Um, the, I mean, it's sort of distorted in Jaws. It was when they were like when it when the body was sinking, not that dumbass roar that it did in Jaws: The Revenge, um, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, I, I love that sound as the trucks going off the cliff. The the, I just, I don't know. It's it's um, it's very cool to, and I remember watching it with a friend. I showed it to a friend a few years ago. She had never seen it before. She didn't know anything about it, and she wanted to. She came over to my house and she wanted to watch something she'd never seen before. And I said, "Well, how about this? This was Steven Spielberg's first movie." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And um, she was young too. Like she was a little bit younger than me, and. I didn't know how she was going to take it. Like, I didn't know if she was going to be into it or if it was going to bore her or whatever. She was so on the edge of her seat. It was oh, nice. Aw- it was awesome. She was just like, oh, my God, this is so scary. And I'm like, <laughs> score. Like, I love when that happens. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, besides that, um, well, that's pretty much it. Except for, you know, TV stuff. uh 90 Day Fiance crap is back on, so you've got to watch somebody else's drama make me feel good about my relationship, you know. <laughs> That's about it. Um, anything else, Jamie, before you got cut off? Anything else you've been watching? Yeah. Um, well, we watched the new Black Mirror, the three episodes of that. I really enjoyed all three of them. I, I know people were complaining about the particularly the first one. I liked it. I didn't have any problems with it. I liked I thought it was strong. Is it because of the Miley Cyrus that we don't like it? Um, and that's the third one. And 
I thought that one was really fun. That it, that little doll was so cute. I um I didn't have any problems with the with any of them. Like I liked them. I thought it was they were all solid. You know, the Black Mirror it, to me, Black Mirror has always been solid. So I think it still is. There's something else that I feel like we want. Oh, we watched um, High School of the Dead, the anime series. That that is really if you like anime or uh, it's re- it's just re- it's really good. I'm not even a big anime fan. Like I don't I'm not crazy about it, but I really enjoy this when it's fun and it's like a zombie thing. But there's so much gratuity. It is just uh, unreal. Like they will take any opportunity to give you a panty shot or boobs or <laughs> and I'm just it just cracks me up like it's it's so funny but really good like I, I totally got into that and I feel like there was something else but I don't know there's basically just been a lot of random stuff um yeah oh Godzilla we watched the new Godzilla oh I did as well so <laughs> let's talk about it a little bit Jamie what would you think uh, of it I absolutely loved it I adored it. I it was right up my alley. It was everything I wanted. It was Godzilla fighting monsters, which is exactly what I wanted. Like I have no complaints. Michael Doherty knows how to get to my heart every time. He has never disappointed me. And this is I mean, I was bawling when the uh, just the little strains of the Mothra music started to play. Oh, the, the overtures were the bomb. There's some God, that Irish, music Irish was insanely good. But, but, and it well, was it was uh, Bear McCreary did the, the music, right? I, I want to say I don't know. And it was so good, just unreal how good it was. Like just because he would weave in little things, and if you know, like if you're in the know, then it means something to you. But if you're not, then it's no big deal, you know. Oh. But um, if you know what this music is coming from, then you're just it just hits you. And I just cried. I, I, I love Mothra, by the way. I absolutely love Mothra. And I was bawling every time she was on. And it just it was, you know, I I teared up when Rodan came out because it just these things mean something to me. You know, that the, this this they were a big deal when I was a kid. And so they all mean a whole lot to me. And then at the end, oh, my God, when they played the cover of Blue Oyster Cult and uh, Go Go Godzilla, I was just like, what? It was it's, awesome. It's, it's OK. I've never been a big Serge Tankian fan by himself. I've always been a big System of a Down fan for for. This is that first album, probably the first couple albums for sure, and uh, pr- pretty awesome. But uh, yeah, those overtures, man, when they hit, you know, when the monster, especially the Mothra one, if you know, Iris, you've seen the Mothra, you've got the, two, the singers that, that call Mothra, you know, to come, and well, this is done in an overture. Yes, it's done in an overture, and it's fucking beautiful, and... It is beautiful. And they do the little nods to the little, to the twins, which is so cute, like in the photograph. I, I don't know, like... There was to me, it was just fan service, pretty much the entire film, and that's, I don't that's what know you what want. else. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what else anybody wanted. Like, I what see, the hell else do you want? I see people bitching about like, oh, this, that, the other with the humans. I was like, have you not watched the same movie for the past sixty years? Yeah, the, the humans are trash. So the tree is as such. Although, although Ken wants anybody Ken, who Ken, likes to pretend that beyond the now the first one is is straight up really good film 
Um, but uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's not because it is. It's it's really it has a lot of depth. It's really well written. It's well done. It's just a straight up good movie. But beyond that, if you are a fan of the series, you have nothing to complain about with this movie. And if you claim to be a fan of the series and you, but yet you want to complain about the the human characters or the writing, then you're a fucking hypocrite. Can, because I don't want to give away too many spoilers. Ken Watanabe has a great a great role in this movie, much yeah. better than the first role and. It'll make you weep when something happens to him, Iris, okay? He, he makes the ultimate, you know, thing just so we can all be saved by the big the big fella. And it's, it's pretty good. And uh, I get really sad when it happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Here I am talking, and, and, and I'm on mute. In the very <laughs> first movie, that is what happens. The guy sacrifices himself. Absolutely, so, yeah. You know, the doctor does. Uh, so to save us. And, uh, yeah, so anybody who has been bitching about this movie just and saying that they're Godzilla fans, no, you're not. Just like you said, they're hypocrites hypocrites because they don't understand that connection between the humans and Godzilla and how Godzilla is a product of our sins and we need to atone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good, though. I I really liked it. if you haven't seen it yet, yet Iris, I, I suggest you go see it in, in the theater. It's, it's important to see it I made this do that this weekend. Yeah. It's, I, I, I really don't think you'll, you'll be disappointed. I really don't. I mean, I was very happy. And, um, and like I said, if you claim to be a fan of the series and yet, and you watch all the, the Kenny movies, then <laughs> with all the little fucking Kenny's running around, I hate, I hate that kid. Um, don't, or, you know, any variation on a Kenny. Um, don't don't claim to give a shit about character and writing because you're full of shit. You know, you it's if you're willing to accept what goes on in those movies for the sake of watching monsters fight, then you got nothing to complain about here. It's um but honestly and it does have more depth than that. Now the whole, you know, Vera Farmiga thinking she's Thanos thing yeah, is kind of weird. I don't like but that. I honestly, I don't think she's wrong. Like, I, I, I kind of am on board with that. I do feel like we need a reset. And I say it all the time. And people think that I'm psycho. But it's, you know, it's like George Carlin used to say, uh, the earth is going to shake us off like fleas. And uh, she's going to keep going. And... I'm just waiting for that moment, you know, because <laughs> I feel like it is going to happen at some point. Oh, it's coming soon. The way we're treating her. Yeah. I mean, and what do we, what do we expect? Look what we're doing. But, um, I don't know. I, did I ever tell you about the theory that I had about, um, homosexuality? Go for it. People, <laughs> people love this. Go for it. You know, and this now, and, and this actually, it, this does actually kind of play a part in, in what I was talking about, but, um, I have a theory that for all the people who claim that homosexuality is unnatural, that, you know, that people make a choice or whatever, which is just bullshit. But for all the, for, for anybody who says that, this is my theory. I think nature plugged in homosexuality as a way to keep us from overrunning our planet, as a way to keep the, the population from getting, from getting out of control. And by forcing people 
throughout throughout the years uh, by society force society forcing people to adhere to what they think is the natural order and forcing people to live as heterosexuals when they're not we have then brought about our own doom <laughs> by forcing people to procreate when they maybe weren't intended to. Jim, you, you just fixed the plot to Logan's Run, a massive gay sex pile. Population <laughs> there you go. You know. <clears throat> all, the I'm saying is, all I'm saying <laughs> is that nature has checks and balances. That's how nature works. Nature always and, finds a way. And I think that we have been attempting to force nature to fit what we, and I say we as a society because I'm not that crazy, but um, society has been attempting to force nature to fit what they think is the way it should be. And nature has has these things in place for a reason. And they're like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> but I came up with that theory one night when I was drinking a lot of gin and – so I tend to believe it's correct. That's what, that's what, I, so that's my answer to people who think that homosexuality is unnatural. It's about as natural as you can get because Mother Nature did it on purpose, you dick. That's what, that's what I say. I love you. <laughs> well, I mean, doesn't it make sense? You know, it does. I mean, if it we does. allowed people, if we allowed people to live the way that they were intended to live and the way that they're comfortable living, because that's who they are, then maybe we wouldn't be having the problems we're having now. Right? It's nobody else's freaking business who I uh, want in my bed. Nope. And it's the, the, uh, not my the, business who you want there. That's that's the <laughs> you and Jesus, me. Iris. You and Jesus. Okay, you know. <laughs> no, I'm playing. You know. Unless you love Jesus, that's fine with me too. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you love Jesus, I will never condemn you. Just don't Harry's bring covering you, all his bases now. Just, just don't bring your hatred my way. Just I don't want to hear it, you know. Because I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm one of those people that believe that I don't think your Lord and Savior wants you to be wants you to be that hateful. I don't, I don't think he does. Just, just I don't. Throw it I, don't out there. I mean, no, I don't. I don't either. I think people who who believe in in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And, and there's, you know, whatever, if that's, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I think it's whatever makes you feel comfortable. I think religion is a very personal thing. But if, if you, <laughs> if you believe that and then simultaneously hate on people, you are doing it wrong. Because <laughs> that is not what he said. <laughs> he didn't say that at all. Although so, I do, I do love saying like something weird to like a real, real holy roller and getting the the right combination of the side eye and the stink eye at the same time, you know. So like the Billy Barty eye is yes. that what? That yeah. Ends up? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I almost think that sort of know, a eventually... side. He has like side stink eye. Like if, if I say something bad enough, somebody will automatically get Forrest Whitaker eye immediately, and you know, it just, it'll just happen. Just blow their minds, people. Blow I their prefer, minds. I prefer thinking of Billy Barty. <laughs> okay. What, is Forrest Whitaker I gross to you or something? No, not at all. I just think Billy Barty is adorable. I've always loved his little sausage fingers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his Telling the men to pick a finger back to gay sex again, so you know. Back to the, to, to the butt stuff again. But, uh, yeah, I saw Godzilla 2 and it was awesome. I, I saw Godzilla as well. Not Godzilla 2. That sounds bad. But you know what was bad? Dark this Fe- Godzilla too, though. <laughs> yeah, Dark Phoenix was bad, people, and it, yeah, I know it wasn't their fault. 
I don't blame the actors. They act, they acted fine in the film. But you take a major again, they just dump it in a movie. And this, this, the problem with this movie was is that it was made in between that merger between Fox and Disney, and it really, it really fucked them. And that makes me sad because the movie just did not hold together in the plot line it was given. If you don't know what it is, Jean becomes an entity. Jean Grey goes up into space, sacrifices herself for her teammates, and then comes back as the Dark Phoenix. She's not the Dark Phoenix right away. This is a real Masters of the Universe situation, people. He's not He-Man all the time. He's Prince Adam, and he becomes He-Man when he holds aloft his magic sword and says, I have the power, okay? He's not He-Man all the time. But anyway, I, I, I digress. The, the no, actress, he goes from gay to He-Man. Come on like now. <laughs> Tell me he's not. He's wearing a pink shirt, too. <laughs> I'm not working. saying it's a bad thing. What did I just say? I'm not, I'm not saying be, that's he's bad. He's gay, but... he's gay, but his gayness <laughs> is implied, okay? <laughs> it's implied, okay? You know? <laughs> I'm not going to leave that one alone because I like that he... I think he's a little too close. Close to man at arms. <laughs> a little bit too close. A little bit. Well, you know. now. He is the only one who knows his secret, you know. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> him and the sorceress watching him and man at arms do butt stuff. God damn it, Jamie. You know, just bringing up shit. You know, it, <laughs> I'm, done, I'm done with you. So I wiped out that nasty wound and I, I decided to watch the, the 90, I think it, this was the third season. This would be 1994. Uh, X-Men cartoon series of, of the Dark Phoenix Saga. It is much, much better, people. You get Banshee, you get the Star Jammers, you get all kinds of cool shit in that thing, like God intended, and of course, she comes back as the Dark Phoenix and rains all kinds of hell, and love it so much. So don't I watch unfortunately the, have no fucks to give about X-Men. Okay. I never have. I liked. I watched the first movie, I thought it was okay, and then That's beyond that, I have not seen anything that's that's fine that's beautiful I, <laughs> I i think i think first class the first one's really good and i think that x2 is really solid i, I think those are probably the best ones of the bunch in my opinion because i watched that first expert from 2000 and it's like eh? it's kind of kind of garbage because you know halle berry and ray park just hamming it up his toad he's better than that by the way he's just terrible uh just terrible um well, so I saw Secret Life of Pets 2, which I was looking forward to, and um, a lot of the good jokes were in the trailer, unfortunately, for, for, for an adult eyes. The kids the kids still love it. Don't get me wrong. If you take kids to go see it, they'll love it to death, but a lot of the good jokes were in the trailer, and that's unfortunate, but I had a good enough time with it, and uh, I'll leave that one to, to, to rest there. Uh, one genre film that I watched that i never seen before, but I've always seen the poster for, is uh, The Legacy with uh, one Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is so good. I love that movie so much. That was my L pick for ABCs oh, when we did L. That was so long ago. I forgot all about it, Jamie. No, right? I know. I know. Hey, We're doing more, V this weekend. You're going to put more shows out. No, you, no I'm serious. I know. Like, uh, no, sir, we good. are. We're actually recording episode V this coming up weekend. So I sound like that, that annoying listener that says, you know, you should have put more shows out, lady. No, it's fine. I, I didn't know you did you did it for y'all pick, but I I thought I was like like a it was a weird little picture and uh it's a <laughs> had like a Wicker Man vibe to it and I kind of dug it until kinda, like yeah it's a little folk yeah it's folk horror-y. I can I can dig it um I always um I love the 
oh man, who is it? Who's the um the rock star? That's Roger Daltrey. Yeah, um, yeah. it was funny when we recorded ABCs. Dave was like, dude, he's like, man, that guy looked just like Roger Daltrey. <laughs> he's like, he pulled that off, and I'm like, well, I hope so because it was him. <laughs> and like, <laughs> um. I always loved the quirky little deaths, you know, like the swimming pool death and the choking on the chicken bone yeah. when he wasn't eating chicken. Um, the, the, the mirror death was real neat in that movie. Yeah, I was. That always stuck with me when I was a kid. The scene where they see them like taking the parts out and feeding them to the dogs. Yeah. I, I just, um, I don't. That's a movie that the first time I saw it when I was little, it just stayed with me, and then. Um, it has an ending though. It has an ending that I don't quite get why it went that way, but here we are. It's like, yeah, I just kind of accept it, and that's that's that. <laughs> it's almost like like an end of like a seventies TV episode. You, you expect like a freeze frame, and Samuel's all like, "Yep, well, I guess we're staying here for the long haul." You know. I mean, here's the here's how dark the ending is, though. I mean, like at some point. Cause she gives Sam El- she gives Sam Elliott her ring, or you know one of the rings, and which means it's like a Mentos at- commercial. Like he's like, "Yep, I can't get it off. Isn't that fucked up? You know, it's, it's, you know." Yeah, and he's very accepting of it too, considering the fact that that means that he's going to come to an end at some point. Either that, or he's going to um, secede her. But if he does that, then she's going to die. So like, it's it's dark. I'm, you make, know, I'm making this sound that. like a really cheesy movie, and it's not. I just think the ending is really, like, not lackluster, but, like, I guess I accept this crazy witchcraft vibe. Let's go I ahead. also like the book quite a bit, and I don't know, I don't remember if the book is a novelization of the film or if the film is just really damn close to the book. Those are always fun to read, though, the novelizations, yeah. Um, because if it wasn't a novelization, then the movie nailed it. I think it was a novelization of the book. Okay, I mean, because otherwise it just, I you don't ever see adaptations that close because the book was dead on. So I'm 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 thinking it probably was, but um, either way, it was still a fun read, you know. And Sam Elliott, oh my god, I love him in anything. And he's wonderful. Mm. And yeah, just his voice. Oh yeah, his just his manliness, his everything about him is just oh my lord. And then you know, um, Catherine's not bad either. Um, yeah, she's good. She is. I love her in well, pretty much everything. I don't know whatever happened to her, but like she was really big around that time. And then That's his, his current and longtime wife in real life. Did they really get married? Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Oh my god, I never knew. Well, maybe that's why she didn't work anymore, but. Um, like I loved her in Stepford Wives, and I had no idea they were married. Holy shit! <laughs> I didn't. Well, you're welcome. That's crazy. You, they got married in 1984. Is, is oh what I'm my god, that is nuts. And they have a daughter too. Huh? Imagine that. <laughs> Fancy that they had sex and had a baby. Fancy that. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap. Not gay sex, I... mind you, but maybe they had some gay sex in there. I don't know, but. Uh... For, for all you men and the ladies that like it, you get to see some Sam Elliott butt in this movie, so get, get ready for that, you know. <laughs> oh, him in that sweater? <laughs> yeah, see, and <laughs> what's funny is um, there's something, something that happens in that movie. Like, he's just wanting to whip ass all the time, and, like, he's angry all the time in that movie. He's just, he is grumpy. 
And I'm always teasing. Whenever we watch it, I'm always teasing Brian. I'm like, that's you. You know, (laughs) if we were in that situation, if I dragged him to England for something like that, and then he got in that situation, he would be grumpy just like that. I'm like, that's you. That's that's you. And he's over there smiling because he knows it's true. He's like. That's right, baby. You're my. I just compared you to Sam Elliott. <laughs> no, hey, that ain't not bad, right there, sir. Is all I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> I watched some other. What I watched because they just dropped a whole bunch of stuff at Amazon Prime. You know, like they do. I revisit a couple of the Moonbeam uh, pictures. If that's the the um, the family label that Full Moon put out in the '90s, and I rewatched Remote, which is like p- people would call it a Home Alone ripoff. But basically, this kid is trapped in a model home with all of his RC creations that he built himself to foil three robbers. So it's like Home Alone, but it's directed by Ted Nicolau, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, you have, your kids have not seen this film. I suggest they watch it and uh, go check it out. I actually had a, a conversation with um, Ted Nicolau and uh, Stuart Fracken, who... People may know his replacement styles from Teen Wolf 2, but he's in this movie as well. And uh, You also just... watched Teen Wolf 2 recently, didn't you? Uh, no, but I I oh. haven't, but I can talk about that movie if you want to, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> Why do you love me? Band <laughs> no, but I feel like you made a post about it or not, something. Not Teen Wolf 2, I don't think. Oh, okay. I don't hate Teen Wolf 2. It just has parts that I don't enjoy. <laughs> Um, that and I watched Pet Shop, which is a film in which aliens come down to a small town and invade a pet store and sell kids alien pets, of course, to do, I forget why, they're trying to steal their souls or something. Joe Bob used to show this movie on Monster Vision often, like, at least a couple times I remember for sure it used to be on there, and there wasn't many Moonbeam joints that he actually showed on there, and this was one of them, and it's fun. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's the best thing you'll watch all week, but then again, it's with the full moon picture, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. It's fun uh, It's fun family fair, and and I enjoy it now as an adult. And uh, So there we go. Meet me watching kids' movies, like, for no good reason. And, um, it was Father's Day. Yesterday is recording this, so I watch Creep Show, like I do every Father's Day. My father would have disliked it, but it seems like the perfect Father's Day movie to watch to me, Creep Show, because there's so much good fathering going on in that movie. And, um, what else? He was just getting his cufflinks, man. He got his fucking mouth slapped for that one, son bitch. Um, and then I watched Big Jake, because Big Jake was a film that my dad loved. And, uh, you, you were not allowed to turn off Big Jake in my house when I was a kid. Even though I wanted to so, so bad. My dad watched a lot of stuff. Oh, why like would you want to? Because I was bored at five years old, Jamie. I didn't want to watch no, it. No, you know? I wasn't bored at five years old. I know, but I didn't know what it was, and it wasn't cartoon. I loved John Wayne so much. I think I told you I used to have a John Wayne clock on my bedroom wall. Mm, maybe not. I don't recall it. <laughs> I did. I was like seven, and I had a John Wayne clock. <laughs> How lame is that? I don't care. <laughs> Did it swagger as you ticked and talked? Yeah. <laughs> you know what it was, though? It was one of those gaudy, gaudy wooden things that's like carved wood with a picture on it, and it's shellacked to within an inch oh of its God, life. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, mm-hmm. it, they're so tacky, but <laughs> I wonder whatever happened to that. But, um, yeah, I loved 
and that was one of that was one of my favorites. And the weirdest thing is every time I would go visit my dad after I moved away from home, every single time there was a John Wayne movie on TV. Oh yeah. And, and that, just, that, 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 um Sons of Katie Elder were probably the tops for my dad that we couldn't turn off. <laughs> oh, Sons of Katie Elder, The Searchers. <sighs> The Three Godfathers. If no, if people haven't seen that one, that's a fun one. It's mm. kind of like a an early Three Men and a Baby. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, it's like a cowboy version of Three Men and a Baby. It's really cute. I like it. Um, yeah, I love John Wayne. Well, that's that's about it, really, for me. Just a lot of like watching TV. I watched The Flash all the way through because if you're a CW person like I am, and a lot of you are, some of you might imagine. Um, they dropped the, the the whole seasons like after that, right? Almost right after the end, and I I didn't watch a lot of the Flash, and uh, it's always usually the best one of the bunch, and I I still really enjoyed it. But they they made Chris Klein the villain on this one, and he does like a Bane voice, and I just can't take him seriously as a villain because he's so bad at it. But he has a great weapon in the in the in the whole series, and I really enjoy that. But it um. I'm not Chris sure. Klein wasn't he in like American Pie? Yes, that Chris Klein. Okay, okay, wow, uh, wow. That okay. Chris Klein, yes, played the bad guy named Cicada on the, this last season of The Flash because when he put on this mask, he had some kind of a. Uh, the whole idea is, and then at the end of the last season, they they dropped this satellite from the sky, and it contained what they call dark matter, and he got hit with some shrapnel that wouldn't heal, so. Like, when he's doing his thing, he makes, like, this breathing noise. And when he breathes, it sounds like, you get it, kids, a cicada. So they call him Cicada on the show. <laughs> and, the cicadas are in the trees now. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't really ruin my, my vision, of the, my, my, my love of the Flash. You get a, you got a good reveal at the end of where the next season's going. Uh, if you haven't watched it, Reverse Flash is coming back, and I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. Um... But that that's always good, but uh, I hate to end with that. Bore you guys on my hero shit again, guys. See what you're doing there? But uh, we'll move on. You and Dan Chase. Yes, uh, Dan Dan Chase. I'm trying to get to watch Riverdale. God damn it, you know. These are important things. <laughs> Next segment, which is the beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order fries. Who gets the beef? Mine's the juke deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? Jamie, what's pissy off, girl? Mm, you know what? I am in a pretty good place right now. I, I, I am. I mean, I'm out of restaurants, and that's that makes me happy. I'm, I am done with hopefully that. Um, and that's you know that was like the, the the bane of my existence for so long. That was the source of all my all my crotchetiness <laughs> I am just in a much better place <laughs> mentally now that I've gotten away from the public because the public sucks yes they do mm-hmm. yes they do but I'll tell you I'll tell you actually I'll tell you one thing that's gotten under my skin recently and that is the the state of Michigan and their stupid decisions as far as construction goes now 
okay, living in the Midwest, you know that they're going to have to do construction every spring because every winter the roads get torn up. That's well, just the way it is. Much like where you are, where I'm at, there's two seasons in, in Chicago land and that's construction in the winter. And that's, that's all yeah, it is. Ex- exactly. So there's, there's the same way in Michigan. There's construction all over all the time, but this is what I don't get. They will shut down a road completely to do construction. And then the detour route that they send you, that they then funnel people to, they decide to do construction on that road as well and then cut it down to one lane. And I'm like, okay, you're funneling extra traffic onto this road. And so you decide now is a good time to shut to shut down to one lane. And they do this in three or four different places at once. And pretty much every route that I would like to take to go to work, um, it, I mean, it's just – it's frustrating beyond belief. And like just – now in in Atlanta, we would do these things at night. Like they did a lot of night construction in Atlanta because, I mean, well, Atlanta traffic is notoriously like legendarily bad. So that they, they would do a lot of night and weekend construction because people weren't trying to go to work. Um, but here it's like they they just they decide they only want to do it during rush hour. And, and I don't because you can drive down there any other time of day and you won't see them doing squat. <laughs> but like during rush hour, then they decide, hey, we, we might do something right now. And it just blows my mind. I'm like, what are you doing? This is the Motor City. Like no one, no one isn't driving in Michigan. They don't have a, a rail system that's worth a damn. And the like public transportation is for crap. So everyone is on the road and they you'd think that by now they'd have this settled they'd have this figured out but it's terrible yeah i agree you know we got a lot of a lot of bridge construction right now going on where i live and they're trying to build they're trying to build a bike a bike thing for people that's going to go over over the street and try to build some under under road thing and it it, it, it doesn't really belong in where they're building it but here we are, fucking Northwest Indiana. It's the same same problems. <laughs> Whatever. Construction sucks all day long. Uh, what about you, Iris? Me? I don't have much to, um, um, you know, just be crotchety about. <laughs> I love that word, crotchety. <laughs> I wonder um, why. <laughs> Jeez, Jamie, I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, geez, Jamie, everything doesn't go back to that, you know, but. But yes, it does. Yeah, but yes, it does. <laughs> oh, my God. But anyway, um, actually, no, everything's kind of cool. You know, I have to say, though, I mean, we're going through right now at work. Um, it seems real weird because one section of our company is getting laid off and then there's the other section where I'm on that we're growing by leaps and bounds and it's kind of hard to kind of wrap your head around it sometimes you know you've got friends and that you've known for 15 20 years almost and they're getting their pink slip I mean that's that's, oh my that's really weird you know but you know just with work um, we are on such a schedule like we've had three go lives in the last four months so do you work, and I, do you work for a non-profit hours yeah for? i do 
Yeah, do work for a nonprofit. That's a big, that's a big problem right there, you know, because eventually the money's going to dry up, you know, or whatever you want to call it. But I'd imagine that's a problem. Well, you know, there's always sick people, so I, I really don't think it's not that we don't have enough money to treat. It's that the the stuff that we really rely on, which is the federal payments and the state payments, are drying up because. Mm, our Congress and president really don't care. So, you know, so being our group has to start making cuts everywhere because we still have to treat people and we still have a big charity program that we have. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not diminishing the yeah. asshole because yeah, an asshole's an asshole anyway you swing it. But I was always in full belief in this country that the money's not in the, in the, in the cure, it's in the medication and, yeah, oh, I believe. Yeah, I agree with you with you completely. Because they they want to they want to keep people sick, you know, all the time. Or something ails all of us, you know. And I, I've developed allergies over the years, over the past decade or so, that I didn't think I'd have every allergy forever. And I think there's there's something. This is some real conspiracy theory. Uh, oh, conspiracy theory shit. Something in tap water, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> some some real fucking fucked up shit. They they want to keep people sick though is what I'm saying, but that's why it's such a such a like a, a um a pox to like make marijuana legal and you know yeah, no. all all these states you know it's, it's such a weight I and mean, we just got it in Illinois apparently and hasn't gone into action yet but it's just it's crazy that you know yeah, well big pharma is scared of legalizing marijuana oh they had a, because... they had a special a special uh, um, meeting of of the Illinois Congress or whatever, to, to I guess to see how much they could tax the fuck out of it, because they had to have an emergency meeting about this about this marijuana situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you no. know, L- Illinois is really weird because you know we we got these slot machines now. The the, the electronic gaming is everywhere, you know. The which you know they all claim it, the the money goes to somewhere else, but I, I don't see it. <laughs> I, we get the same shitty schools it's... and the same everything, you know. It's it's. Right, right. It, it and and you know what? It's it's the same here. You know they they talk about a lot of the money going to the schools and stuff, but and then you're seeing all these teachers on strike because they're not, you know the the school districts can't pay them a decent wage and but yet you know you've got your superintendents that are making hundred thousand dollars a year <laughs> because they have to make the big decisions. I'm like, well, decide to cut your you know, oh, paycheck and give it to the teachers. I mean, come on. But yeah, you know, and, and Big Pharma is scared of, of the, the marijuana industry because they know that if people start using that instead of their, you know, oxycodone and all the crap that they've been pushing on everyone to create this crisis we have, I mean, if you're white, um, then, you know, they're, they're scared. They're going to lose money and they're scared. Don't give me started on anti-vaxxers, man. Those fucking people. <laughs> All I'm you know saying, what, if, 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 if I had a kid and they got the measles because some asshole didn't want to vaccinate their kid, I might punch that parent in the mouth. I, I'm just so, saying, you know. Here's the way I see it. If you are so scared of having an, a, a special needs child that you're willing to have your child die of a disease, then you're a fucked up parent. That's that, that brings to my, my beef. There was, there, was a, there, was a, there was a school here. It's preparatory academy in uh, in Gary, in the Indiana. Yeah, I hear that joke a lot, people. I, I'm not I'm not amused, okay? But uh, 
I, I do live very close to Gary, Indiana. Gary, and, um, Indiana, Gary, Indiana, Gary. Oh my God, that's exactly where I went. To live in Woody Howard. Killing me. Killing me. Killing me right now. But, um... There's Preparatory Academy. I forget. I don't want to name its name because you know whatever. Uh, there's a, they had like you know like they have like school awards. You like class clown. You know whatever you want to call it. They decided that it was a good idea, and th- th- this upset the parents. And though I, I'd fucking raise high heaven because I'm sure you had to pay money, a good money. Oh, to go I to would school. sue that school. They named a, a t- I think a ten year old autistic boy most annoying male at the school. They thought this was a good idea to to do this and. These teachers are fired rightfully, but then they're making every excuse to say, oh, the administrations are, are after us. Like, but no, you guys made that happen. A boy you got, you clearly knew was autistic, which is a very... If you ever dealt with somebody who's autistic people, it's 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 a very patient process. And you would never call this person a, a, an annoying person in, in any sense of the word because they're, they're trying to do what they got to do to be better. And that's nothing to make fun of. And this this school, that I'm sure the parents paid a lot of money for their for their kids to go to the special school that I'm sure has special technical people to help him you know learn better as an autistic boy, to to, to call him that in, in a public forum is just disgusting and there's there's no excuse for it. I, I what did they call him? They they named him the most annoying male of the year. This ten year old oh. autistic boy. Oh. That's garbage. I can't stand humans like that. Well, maybe it didn't have anything to do with his autism. Maybe they just, you know, they they wanted him to feel included. So they knew <laughs> they knew this boy was autistic. I know. Though. I'm I'm fucking around. I know. I know. You're, you're absolutely right. It's not it's not okay. And especially with people who know better, you know, that you expect to know better, and that's not that's not cool. Mm. But man. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that one it's off my so, chest. It's, it's just, those vaccines, man. It's, yeah. those, it's those anti-vaxxers, man. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jenny McCarthy told us years right. ago, years ago, you know, I was foolishly talking to my doctor about things when I should have been going to Facebook when I wanted medical right? advice. Exactly. You know, what I mean, was I, I thinking? If I ever met Jenny McCarthy, I'd say, Jenny, I know you think you're very smart and you're very pretty still, but let me tell you, honey, I've seen your airbrushed hits of vagina more than anybody else's, and I commend you for that, okay? No, she honestly, these days, she looks like the Madam Puppet. <laughs> so much plastic, I know. But um, you know what blows my mind about anti-vaxxers are the ones who say, I want to read the, I want to read the ingredients on anything that goes into my child. Fuck you. You have no idea. They could... Put fucking syrup of Ipecac in something and mix it up with some cinnamon, and you wouldn't have any idea what was going on because you, you don't know shit because you're not a doctor. So I will listen to my doctor. Thank you very much. You can read the ingredients all day long, and it's not going to tell you a goddamn thing. So as long as you put organic on there, they'll 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 go for it. No, that's true. You know, shoot my baby up with tofu. We'll be. <laughs> Shoot my baby up with tofu. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I, it's just it blows my mind, and I'm thinking you realize you were you were vaccinated as a child, right? Do you have autism? You Maybe. know, I mean, think about that. 
our like, generation, we were all vaccinated. You couldn't go to school when I was going to school if you didn't have your vaccine. You couldn't even go to college if you weren't vaccinated. I had to, I had to supply my shot record to even go to college. So we, we were all vaccinated. And do you have autism? Do you have autism? Do you have no? So the, the majority of us don't, and that's because it doesn't cause autism. You idiot. I, I do get bored very easily, though, Jamie, so maybe I do have autism. I couldn't tell you what the symptoms of autism are. I know what it looks like sometimes when somebody has autism, but I'm feeling a little autistic myself. Maybe it was the vaccines back in the day, or maybe it was drinking from the hose. I, I don't know. Something, something I'll give gonna, you a Giardia. Something's going to kill you one day. It's probably going <laughs> to be drinking from the hose. And uh, I seriously, I, a friend of mine got Giardia from drinking from the hose. Uh-uh. <laughs> but that's the... Like, that I mean, that was what we did when we were kids too. Like you know, like your parents are like, "But mom, I'm thirsty." I'm she's all, "I'm mopping the floor, drink out of the hose." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's one kid. That's one incident. You know that. Who knows who crawled up that hose? That, that man, whatever. Well, I mean, to be fair, it was she drank out of the hose when she was at a horse show. Uh, she was at a dressage show, and there are horses all over. You know, I mean, it it was not a very it's not somebody's yard, you know, where it's just grass. This was this was a place where bacteria would abound. And, um, you know, so it wasn't really surprising. <laughs> but anyway, wow, I'm tangenting all over the place. Tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I believe it at that tonight where we're here to talk about two films. Oh, we are. Yes, indeed. Not anti-vaxxers <laughs> anymore. It was, uh, I, I thought I, I was trying to come up with all the possible ways I could piss a listener off. <laughs> do, it, do, do it some more. It, uh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was, uh, the characters in the film uh, are confronted with their violent past. And uh, they're, they're kind of... I, we'll get into it. Uh, but Shane from 1953 and way, way further in the timeline, I think it's 2005, I think it is, for, for History of Violence. Am I wrong? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, like almost like over a fifty year difference in films, and we're gonna talk about uh, these films and what they have in common. Starting with Shane, right after this. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday Thirteenth, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror. And we'll go through the alphabet talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's gonna be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites or introduce you to something new. Stevens, creator of such masterpieces as Giant and his Academy Award-winning A Place in the Sun, enlarges the scope of the screen with a motion picture whose monumental background is matched by the stature of its moving human drama. 
drama that began when a mysterious stranger rode in from out of nowhere to play a decisive role in the lives of these rugged pioneers. You can call me Shane. Shane, who attracted the woman with his quiet strength, who fascinated the boy with the glint of his gun. We'd all be much better off if there wasn't a single gun left in this valley. A gun is as good or bad as a man using it. From the clash of elemental forces, George Stevens has created a motion picture unforgettable for its spectacle and scope, its great human story, its deadly conflict. I've heard about you. What have you heard, Shane? I've heard that you're a low-down Yankee liar. Shane from 1953. Uh, yeah, it's your plot synopsis is this. A weary gunfighter attempts to settle down with a homestead family, but a smoldering settler slash rancher conflicts forces... Conflict forces him to... Oh, con conflict forces him to act. I can't speak tonight, apparently. Uh, <laughs> this stars Alan Ladd as Shane. Uh, Gene Arthur as Marion Starrett. Uh, Van Helpen as Joe Starrett. Uh, Brandon DeWild, little short dude, little little, little Joey start, start. Um, Jack Palance as Jack Wilson. There's there's tons more people in this movie. Uh, Palance shows up again again in this movie. It's good stuff. And a really young Elisha Cook. Yeah. Oh my god. And don't forget Ben Johnson. Yeah, Ben Johnson. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, who's that? What's his name from Petticoat Junction? Uncle Joe, Tory. I think, was his name in Petticoat Jar. Or... Yeah, Tori. Uh... Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, Petticoat, that was... Petticoat. Petticoat. <laughs> I'll kick it to Iris. Ask her what she thinks of Shane. Oh, well, Shane, uh, I mean, I have this movie from iTunes. So it's one of the iconic cowboy movies that I love. First of all, because I love that era of a rancher versus homesteader, especially in the Midwest. I mean, there was such a... That history there is is just amazing, especially when such a young country was trying to move west, as they used to tell everybody. Um, but anyway, that's history. We're talking about the movie. The uh, movie is great. Uh, um, you've got all the great elements of a great Western. You've got the gunfighter. You've got the people in distress. You've got the bad guy. And you've got the bad gunfighter in black. Perfect. And it's always about the little guy, the underdog, just, you know, getting trampled on and trying to stand up for itself and just needing that that extra boost or that one guy that's going to come in and say, you know what? I'm going to even the playing field for y'all. That's exactly what Shane does in this movie. Um, and I like the, how the characters are developed and, and how you have these very separate characters. You've got the, you know, the homesteader, Starrett and his crew. And they're all, you know, like, Hey, 
people of the land, we are here. We're going to do this. Um, and then you've got <laughs> Marion, who who is lusting over Shane. Very much yeah. so. <laughs> Not so secretly. I mean, to the no. point where her husband's even like, you know, I might be slow, but I see things. He's like, come um, on, bitch. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, um. And then there's, of course, the kid, Joey, who has to, who's learning things. I mean, you know, you, you see very much how he is that little imp that's everywhere and in everything. He, he covets violence, which is, you know, it's, it's almost like this movie can be made like this today. Because within the first two minutes of the film, you got little Joey with a giant, giant rifle. Gonna t- he's taking aim at this, this, this deer or buck or whatever's going on and... That would just drive today's parents insane seeing a, a boy that small with a giant rifle going to kill something. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, but you know what? He's a homesteader. You know, that's how they get their food. If this child is to survive, he needs to learn to hunt. And at least he's learning how to stalk. And, you know, he doesn't have bullets yet, but, you know, he wishes he did. And uh, and that's what I was talking about. The characters there, it, it's kind of like... You see where the next generation sees where everything is going to. And this kid sees, I see my dad having a hard time working hard and these people are screwing with him. I need to learn how to defend myself. I need to learn how to use this gun. So it's kind of like this this bell curve. And then he sees Shane who knows how to protect himself and you know, but he sees both sides of it. He sees the violence and he also sees how, you know, you don't have to be violent, but when push comes to shove, you better shove right back. It, it's kind of like um, when I was a kid um, and we lived in the projects. Uh, there was these old cholos, and you know they used to they used to these old gangbangers, and they would watch over us kids, and they would teach us stuff too. You know, one thing I remember, you know, hearing all the time and learning is that you're either going to throw the punches or you're going to take them. Which one do you want to be? And that's exactly what this movie is showing you and the sacrifice that Shane does. I mean, he leaves that little world he wanted, you know, that little perfection that he had found to protect these people. And, and then of course you've got Jack Palance, who's just, he's always the bad guy and he's such a great bad guy. He's got like what, maybe 10 minutes of screen time. If that, but he's iconic and you remember him because he's that he's, He's like the dark knight, you know, the black knight. Mm-hmm. He, he's got the dark hat, the, 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 the black uh, vest, and he's quick with the gun, but, you know, Shane's better. But what I love about and, the, his, his character is they never, they never really explain what his relationship is between him and Shane, but they clearly know each other. And, you know, because he, he knew right away, you know, when they described him, who he was, and basically what a bad man he is, and... Well, it's because bad recognize, you know, it's like a gunfighter is going to recognize another gunfighter, maybe not like face to face, but he's like, yeah, I know what that is. It's like, you know, good recognizes good, bad recognizes bad. And I think basically, I think what Shane was, he was running away from something he did Mm -hmm. and he was just trying to make amends. It's kind of like, you know, Casca, he stabs, you know, Christ on the cross and for the rest of his life, he's trying to make amends. Yeah. So I, you know, so this is like 
or what I see Shane is, is that he's just that traveling mysterious guy who comes into town, helps the underdog and moves on because he feels that that's what he needs to do. He has to atone for his sins. Yeah, I have a little bit of a different interpretation, but Jamie, what do you think? Um, this is a film that I used to watch all the time as a kid, and I haven't seen it in a long time. What I remembered about it, though, apart from that comeback, Shane, was, uh, was, which I actually quote all the time. You'll probably hear me, uh, if you've been listening to me for a while on various podcasts, you will have heard me say that at some point. But... It's one of those movies, kind of like a Christmas story, that I had watched a lot, but never in one sitting. I've I've seen it all, like, m- numerous times, but I never sat down and watched the whole thing until I did it for this. And it was always just because it was on all the time. And I remember several things about it. Um, one being my grandmother, every time she hated that kid. And every time she'd come in the room, she'd go, I hate that damn kid. Because <laughs> he annoyed the piss out of her. And that always stuck with me, which I thought was funny. I'm not so much with the kid either, but, you know, um, I get it. You know, he's he's not a bad kid. He's not, you know, he's... One thing I really like about him and his character is that even though he is, he loves Shane and he straight up tells his mom, he's like, I love Shane. I love him almost as much as I love my dad. Never once does he disrespect his father in favor of Shane, which you see a lot in this kind of scenario. They'll, you know, the kid will become enamored of the stranger that comes into town. Who's like a big badass, And then the father ends up looking like a douche because of it. Or he, he ends up looking weak or looking um, inferior. And I don't feel that here. I don't feel that start is ever made to look inferior. I think he is now at one point he does when he's talking to his wife and he, and uh, to Marion and he says, if something happens to me, I know you'll be taken care of. And I, I referenced it earlier when I, he says, um, I might be slow sometimes, but I do see things. He never outright says the words, but what he's, he's, he is saying, he, I know you're hot for Shane. Like, <laughs> like I know this is, <laughs> I know this is a thing. And if I die, you basically have my blessing, you know? And that, I guess you could look at that as, is a weakness. I, I don't really, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't ever feel like he is made to look bad. And I like that. I like the fact that he still maintains the, the his patriarch role. Like he still gets to be the father. And she accuses him of having pride. And he's like, woman, you know, I can't I can't turn yellow. I can't I can't do that. And I, I respect that. I respect the fact that this is his home. He's defending his home and his family. And she kind of gets on my nerves because she she whines a lot, you know. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, stop with the whining. Like he, you know, he's being a good provider. He's being a good husband and a good father, and he's doing what he thinks is right. And this is at a time when these traits were necessary for survival. You know, men don't really have to do that sort of thing now, but. You know, back then you did. You had to fight, and he 
you know, was doing that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And she just whined all the time. And I'm like, stop with your whining. Jesus Christ. Well, in this case, they're fighting for land they already own because basically the plot well, of the yeah. movies, you know, these guys are trying to horn on their land like illegally by making like cattle run through their crops and basically making them want to yeah, leave. And they're running, they're running them out. And, um, that's another thing I was going to bring up. Was this this is a very common trope in Western films. The um, you know the stranger rides into town and takes care of the bullies, kind of thing. You know this is one of the more iconic ones, but it is something that you see frequently. It, it's it's a very common theme in Western films, but this is an iconic one. However, I do think it's a little slow. I don't think it needs to be two hours long. Um. There are scenes like the bar scene where they're fighting the first fight we have in the bar where uh, Shane is fighting Chris and the, all the other guys are standing around like like video game NPCs just yeah. kind of standing around going. <laughs> and this is this is this is as excited as they get. Get after him, Chris. Yeah. Break his neck. <laughs> get him. Get after him, Chris. I like, and it's it's almost like they're on a loop too. And I'm like, oh my god, this <laughs> this is terrible. These NPCs are awful. Get them out of here. Um, and then you've got the one guy. Y'all quit fighting. No more fighting in here. And he's practically smiling while he's talking. So I don't believe what he's saying. Like I I, I wasn't really sold on the emotion of a lot of the the ancillary characters. I do think that the main cast, you know, did well, but. It's like the, these a lot of the surrounding characters, they didn't really seem like they were in it, so I wasn't impressed. But you know, it's a good story. I like the story, and I like the characters. I just wish that it wasn't as long as it was. It feels a little drawn out. Um, I also think it's very interesting that there is a theory, and I never thought anything of it. Like I never until tonight when I actually paid attention. Um, at the very end, when he's when Joey is yelling for Shane to come back and he keeps, you know, just saying stuff to him. My dad needs you. My mom wants you. And I'm like, there yeah, you kid. Go. my mom wants you. Yeah. Yeah, kid. We know. Um, <laughs> um, and he's saying all this stuff. And the very last shot is Shane riding through a cemetery now. Which is a very cool visual. You get it. It's you get the cemetery against the sky. And like it's all in shadow, and you see him, and it looks it looks nice. It's a nice shot. However, the theory is that at this point, Shane is either dead already or dying. I can and see that's, that. And that's the that's why he's you get the shot of him going through the cemetery. Which honestly, if you weren't trying to make a point with that visual, there'd really be no other reason to do that. Um. So I never really had considered that until I watched it tonight. And when I watched it tonight, I'm like, you know, we know that he's wounded. We know he got shot because when he was in the gunfight, he did end up getting shot. Now, it doesn't look to be serious because he's talking fine and he's riding off and, you know, all of that. But I kind of wonder, like, like and, and I'm curious as to what you guys think. One, have you heard this theory before? No. And two, do you what do you think of it? I can see it, you know. It, 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 they, if you look at a lot of westerns, like The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, they use that cemetery scene as a catalyst, and, and you know, yes. it, it's a it's a pretty common thing, you know. And I I, I think that maybe <laughs> maybe Shane's a phantom because you know maybe it could be like 
that guy that swoops into town to help people. Because if, if you if you watch, you know, the movie, essentially Shane's a pacifist until he's forced into violence. Much like in the next movie, that's that's the common theme I'm kind of going for, people, if you haven't noticed that already. And, um, but there's a little more to the, the one in the next one, because... <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, that guy's just fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, I can see that, Jamie. Hey, I, 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 I get it. I don't know how, how true it is. I have to listen to some some commentaries, maybe, but I, I, I get yeah. it. I mean, I don't think it's meant in like a, a high plains drifter kind of way. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe that you know, just from that last shot, uh-huh. that he's either dead or dying. Although. High Plains Drifter is another movie that uh, that I love, and I, but you know what? That the dead gunfighter is another common trope. Hell, Clint Eastwood did two of them mm-hmm. um, <laughs> with Pale Rider and High Plains Drifter, and um, I that's anyway. This ending is something I'd never considered before, but I I like it because it's dark, and I never saw this as a as a dark film, and when I watched it this time and I plugged that into the end, I really like it. I think it gives it a lot of depth. So Iris, what about you? Oh, I kind of like what you're saying because, um, watching this movie so many times and putting it into that perspective, I like it even more (laughs) because if you think about it, was he already dead or is he dying? Well, the um, Joyce is you're bleeding, so yeah. that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean it really does. Think about and it. And then Joey's, I mean, and it, okay, it, you can take it at face value. And Joey's crying and he's upset because he's leaving and he's begging him to stay. And that you know that makes sense because he loves him and he doesn't want him to go. You know, and he's mm-hmm. learning a lot from him and he respects him a lot. However, if you look at it that he is either dead or dying. And Joey knows that, then that yeah. just that adds another la- another layer yeah, to does. to Joey's pain and some of the stuff that he says. Right, you know? come back, you know, you know, just don't leave me here. Come back, we can help you. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So wow. Well, thank you for that new perspective. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I I I was really excited when I <laughs> when I. Uh, heard that and I was like really I never knew that I never thought of that and then I when I watched it I'm like oh my god that would totally work and I like it yeah hmm. well you know I mean like, with westerns it wouldn't surprise me at all because westerns are really good at being uh, obtuse when it comes to stuff like that uh, they will sometimes give you clues and not, and they won't outright tell you anything. They won't outright explain things. But to be honest, when I was growing up, watching westerns, and I watched a lot of westerns. That was probably the genre that I watched the the, the most directly behind horror when I was growing up. And I still love them. I absolutely love them. They taught me so much about film interpretation. Because sitting next to my sitting next to my grandfather, and watching westerns with him, and him explaining to me what things meant, because I was a little kid, like I wouldn't I wouldn't get things necessarily if you know they were subtle about them, because I was little. So he would explain to me what what was happening in the film, 
And he's like, this is what this means. And this symbolizes this. And that's, you know, and, and when he said that, this is what he means. And so what I learned is that Westerns in particular are very good at that. They're very good at using symbolism and not outright telling you things. And they they expect you to figure it out. They treat you like you are an adult, like you have – and you have a brain, and I like that. And I don't think a lot of people give them credit for that. And I think a lot of times when people shit on Westerns, it's because they don't really watch them. Um, and they probably don't watch them because they think they're boring. But the thing is, the the good ones have so much more depth than you would ever expect. And the really well-made ones are just – they're rife with, with just so much quiet symbolism. And I learned so much just from watching those films because they force you to think they don't outright tell you things. And so that's why I think it's believable that this is an ending that they were going for. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shane to me is a film that I watched with my father, <clears throat> probably my grandfather too, but I haven't seen it in probably a good 25 years in its entirety. But like, like you said, Jamie, it's one of those films that I watched in passing as a guy. I'd see a part here, see a part there. And then, like this is probably the first time I actually sat and watched the whole thing, much like yourself, because I, I was I wasn't entirely interested, you know, as far as that when I was a kid. It just was kind of something that was there. I didn't have that. Say, hey, let's sit down and watch this old western thing. I just I just liked um I like the style of this movie. Like I said, Shane's a guy that comes into town. It seems like he wants to settle down. Like like he had a he had a hard life of basically being not an outlaw, but like he ki- he killed a lot of men. You could tell. That he just wants to like retire and settle down. He finds this nice family that's willing to take him in and possibly fuck the wife. I don't know. <laughs> it's really strange. The wife and the son covet him like crazy in this movie. But um, yeah, but he is very respectful. Yes. And there's that scene in the bar where they actually say he's got a pretty wife. You know that you know is that why you want to stay there or you know work for him? And he gets mad. Yeah. And he's like, you dirty old man. Like he's pissed. Because that's disrespectful, and and I believe that. Like, I believe him in that. I feel, I kind of feel like if anything were to happen to Joe, that he would he would end up taking care, like, he would take care of the family. Mm-hmm. But even then, I don't think he would try to replace Joe. Like, I don't, I, I, I kind of see him as being someone who would watch after them, but I don't see him stepping into his shoes. Because no, I he'd think, still sleep out in the barn. Yeah, I feel like he th- would think that would be disrespectful, and he wouldn't do it. I mean, the whole the whole thing about Shane inadvertently stirring things up, it, it kind of gets Joe's Joe's balls back. I mean, you can tell Joe lived a hard life and fought for a lot of stuff, but he he has he's become a pacifist, much like Shane in a way. Like he he doesn't really want to like fight anymore, so he's just kind of like gonna literally settle. But um. Shane helps him to get kind of his confidence back and, and of course, going to go fight the system as you would in this situation. I don't think that the wife and the little boy kind of see that the way I do. Like, Shane helped him get his balls back, but a lot, a lot of parts of this film is kind of proven, especially when they're having that bar fight and he decides to, to shoulder up with Shane and just beat the shit out of some guys in a bar and... It's kind of like the ultimate Shane team up right there, and I appreciate that scene. And and um, Palance, like I say, had a real small role, but he's he's just this guy that shows up to, to like take care of business. You don't know if he was called. You you don't know anything about that. He just kind of just shows up, 
and that's what you love, like the non-explanation of things, and that the, the, you can, like I said, you can tell like him and Shane clearly know each other, like they they may have crossed paths in the past. They don't they don't explain this, and I don't mind it at all. It's just there's there's certain things that catalyst that makes Shane go back to his violent ways, but not really in like a hateful way, more like to protect himself this time around, which I'm sure he's been doing most of his life, those fancy gunfighting skills. And I, I, I think that's, that's the whole, you know, little crux of the film is getting Joe starts balls back and Shane, not saving the town, but like letting Joe get the, 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 the town people rallied to, to try to save their own town from the, the monster that owns the, the bar. Right. He owns the bar, the guy that runs the town. Well, it's the bar, the mercantile, the general store. The I mean, it's pretty much an all-in-one kind of play. Pretty much, if you need anything in that town, you have to go to him. Yeah, it's a real road. It's a real roadhouse situation, people. You know, <laughs> Patrick Swayze comes into town on Friday. No, I'm leaving it alone. But um, Shane's real fine. I I. I I can say that, like Jamie said, it's just, it runs a little long. There could, could be some, spar- some, some spots uh, cut out, um, but it doesn't it doesn't really hurt my my love for the film. I still love it after all these years. Sixty uh, some year old movie. So for spoiling something, I don't apologize. Go watch Shane, you sons of bitches. It's good stuff. Um, I'll kick it to Iris though. Anything else you'd like to say about the film? And uh, would you give it one to ten? Um, <clears throat> I give this movie a. a... Oh, hell, I'm just going to go for the 10. Because for me, it hits everything that I like to see in a Western. And plus, it's such a beloved movie for me. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah, I just have to give it a 10. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about such a an awesome movie that you could sit down and watch with your kid even, you know? Oh, yeah. Jamie? Um. I'm a little bit lower. I feel like it, like I said, it's a little long. And there are parts when I think it's it drags. It's a little slow moving. But um, I actually am kind of giving it a little more than I would have just because with that new ending perspective, I really dig that. So um, I'm going to settle on, uh, I'll say, eh, I'll say like an eight. Cool. I'm I'm with that eight. Uh, I enjoy the hell out of Shane, but there's 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 better westerns out there to to watch. But this 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 one is is one of the better ones. I I didn't mention um, how good the cinematography looks in this movie. You really you really get a feel of you know the mountains and the isolation. And if you read the IMDb trivia, uh, they put meticulous uh, attention to detail of how everything was period specific, and they insisted on this throughout the film. Uh, that's nice to know that 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 much that much attention to detail went into the production of this film, which you know is is, is arguably you know one of the people consider one of it the best. And uh, um, yeah, it's a it's a eight out of ten, just like Jamie said. It's I I enjoy, I enjoy it pretty good. One thing I noticed, and I even remarked on while we were watching the film, and I thought it was a nice touch, is that there was a scene where we were inside the bar. And there was stuff going on outside, but then we kept would cut to conversation inside. And you know it's a set. You know, it's clearly a set. But they actually had guys standing out the outside the windows, outside the bar, like mm-hmm. so that from the inside you could see guys just standing around outside. 
And it's not a big deal, but they didn't have to do that. It's a little touch. You know? But it, it was a nice touch just to give it a little bit of a get a, a sense of, a, of realism, you know, with just guys hanging outside. Out, but they didn't have to do that. They didn't even, you know, nobody would have noticed if they hadn't. But I thought it was nice. I always like it when films go the extra mile on things that if they weren't there, you wouldn't even pay attention. But the fact that they are there makes it that much better. Cool. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about a film a little more, uh, a little more gristle, a little, little more grimace and gore to it. But, uh, and sex. And, oh, and some, some steamy, mm-hmm. steamy stare sex, man. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> History of Violence, directed by the great David Cronenberg, is coming up next. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, Guys. Oh, oh, hey, Producer, producer Michael. Producer Michael, oh, Well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. family man with long-standing ties to this community. Right now, this community is rallying behind him and calling him a hero. Way to go, Tommy. Great, more reporters. You look like reporters. You're the big hero. Really don't like to talk about it, sir. You sure took care of those two bad men. Joey. My name is Tom. It's Joey. You tell me. My daughter, where is she? What's going on, Dad? They thought they knew me. Thought I was somebody else. Nothing to worry about, Mrs. Stahl. I've been watching over. I don't know what you want, and I don't really care. You should care about what I want, because what I want might change your life. Why don't you ask Tom and ask him, how come he's so good at killing people?
tell me the truth. What are you? The History of Violence from 2005. Uh, directed by David Cronenberg, like I mentioned. And, um... Yeah, your plot synopsis is this. A mild-mannered man becomes a local hero through an act of violence which sets off repercussions that will shake his family to its very core. This uh, stars, of course, Viggo Mortensen, uh, Maria Bello, goddamn, uh, uh, Ed Harris, William Hurt, lots of people in this fucking movie, Stephen McCaddy, so fucking cold. There's so many more to mention. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it to Jamie first. Ask her what she thinks of the history of violence. Okay, well, considering uh, the fact that Cronenberg is my favorite director, I don't think it's going to be you know, too much of a surprise when I say that I love this film. The first time I watched this movie, I had no idea what what it was about. I just knew that it was Cronenberg and that was good enough for me. And... So I'm into it. Like, I'm believing the Viggo Mortensen character. You know, I'm, I'm all about it. And then when the, when the, the, the switch happens, when the, when the switch gets flipped, I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, <laughs> it blew me away. I thought it was so good. Uh, the cast in this is incredible. Um, again, we have a story about a guy who is attempting to get away from his past. Only the interesting thing here is that he's been doing it successfully for about 20 years. You know, um, they have a son who he's married and and they have a son who is, what, 17? Something like that. Like he's in yeah. high school. <laughs> so um, and he tells her that before they got together, he spent three years in the desert trying to kill off his old persona. And so it's been about 20 years or so, give or take, since he has left his previous lifestyle. And he has, since then, become a successful business owner in this small town. He has a nice little home, a nice family. He, people know him. It, it's like he belongs here in this little Indiana town. And that, that to me, it's like... It, it is incredible because when they, you know, they wake the sleeping giant and it's it's unreal. And when he goes off, he goes off. And uh, there are moments when I mean, because this is not this is not horror, you know, and, and you hear the name Cronenberg, at least if you're me, you think horror. But this is one of his non-horror films, and he's, you know, still very good. He's a very good director. So uh, but there are moments when. I get all giddy because of the gore and I'm like, Oh, the Cronenberg's coming out. You know, <laughs> like it, it's, it, you can see it and you can hear it in the music. Um, there are times when it just feels like a Cronenberg movie. And, uh, that makes me very excited. Um, the, the, the foot stomp into the, into the floor. Oh yes. That's when you know, you're watching yes. a Cronenberg film right there. Yeah, you know? Right there, man. <laughs> That's when I said it too. the, uh, the thing I love about this, too, is that William Hurt was in this movie for less than 10 minutes, and he got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Male. And it, he he had, like, six lines. I don't know, no more than that. But he, he, he was in it for so little. And he was so good that he got an Oscar nomination. That's huge to me. I, 
I think that's enormous. And like one of his lines is, you know, how do you fuck that up? It just, it's his delivery of that is brilliant. Like, I love him. I love Viggo Mortensen, Stephen McCaddy, who is in it for very little too. Like he has a very small role in this. And Cronenberg does this cool thing where he leads you to believe that these guys are going to be important, but they're really not. I mean, they're important in that they get the ball rolling, but their characters are gone. Um, Another cool thing about this film is that that opening shot is the first four minutes and 28 seconds are completely uh, one shot with no cuts. Yes. And it was very It it, it reminded me of that, that opening scene in The Stepfather. Which you know, yes. there's, not, there's not many kills in the stepfather. When you we he walks downstairs after oh cleaning himself up, and you just see the and you see all the slaughtered kids yes. in the in the living room as he's walking by. Yeah, and the moment when the little girl comes out of the office, and it, the dude just takes her out, you're like, eh, wow. Um, These are those kind of men. It was pretty powerful. So, um. Yeah, this is a really, really, really good movie. I was super excited to watch this again. I've been wanting to watch it again anyway. So when you threw this show idea out, I was all over it. I'm like, yes. Uh, Let me talk about this movie because it's fantastic. The performances are just insane. Um, Like, there's a scene where, of course, you mentioned already the stair sex. And there is a scene where after that you see Maria Bello's back and there's a bruise on her back. That bruise is not only real from the from the stair sex, but that is what's left after they've covered the rest of it up with makeup. Like they left some of it so so you know for to actually be in the film. But she was way more bruised than that. They covered it up with makeup. And that is crazy to me. Like he, like he, she's a trooper and she went all out to um, to get this scene. And um, there was a thing I read where it said that David, Crot- David Cronenberg had actually asked the stuntman if he could use stunt pads on the stairs because he didn't want people to get hurt making mm-hmm. that scene. And those scenes were not originally part of, they were not part of the original script, but Cronenberg wanted to add them in. And this is a film that he didn't write, he just directed, but they he did actually do some rewrites. But he wanted to add the sex because he felt it was important to the characters. And I honestly, I'm glad that he did it. Not just for like a gratuitous thing, like not, you know, because I like to watch sex, but because I do think that it does add a lot to the character. It is an awkward scene because it's right on the border of, is this rape? Because then she starts getting into it, which, which confused me at all hell because that next scene, like you mentioned, She's literally rocking back and forth on the bed like somebody who's been sexually abused in, in a way that it could have been raped. Yeah, but I, I don't think it was the sex that made her rock back and forth. I think it's the fact that she was coming to terms with everything she just found out about the man that she's been living with for so long. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that'll blow, that'll just blow your mind. And the sad part is, is that that actually happens. I was just this weekend watching a documentary about a woman who was married to a man for 10 years and never re- never knew who he was, not never really knew who he was. And then she found out all this shit about him, and their whole life came crumbling down. And I'm like, how do you do that? And then I'm over there looking at Brian, going, "Are are you? Is there something I need to know? Um, <laughs> are you telling me everything?" But <laughs> but um, 
I do feel like those scenes add a lot. And I think it's funny because when he was reading the script, it came to the point where she said, uh, you know, you know, fuck off, Joey, when they're when they're on the stairs and he's grabbing at her and she's like, fuck off, Joey. And she starts to walk away. That was supposed to be the end of the scene. But Cronenberg said that can't be the, the end of the scene. It's the beginning. And then so then he added the sex scene, which is has become iconic. Um and they did actually use pads, but they didn't. They couldn't use them throughout the entire scene because they would show. So she ended up getting quite a few bruises from that. Um, but you know, good on her for for being willing to do it. Um, anyway, I did not realize until this viewing that this was based on a graphic novel. Yeah, I got to pick that I, up one day. I'm sure it's available somewhere. Yeah, but what from what I understand, the film is very different from the graphic novel because Cronenberg never read the graphic novel, and he he didn't even know it was based on one when he decided to make the movie, and then he went ahead and made some, made some changes to the script, and then he found out it was based on a graphic novel and decided he didn't want to read it because he didn't want it to mess up his idea. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea how close it actually is. And I don't even know if he does to this day. <laughs> so um, I think that's interesting, though, because I never realized that. I just I never had looked that deep into it. But yeah. anyway, yeah, I absolutely love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Cool. Iris. Um, yeah, I, I have the same sentiment as uh, Jamie does. This is a very, very good film. And I I enjoy this one also because here you have this guy, like she was saying, 20 years at least, just small town dude. And all of a sudden these two knuckleheads show up uh, and he has to basically pull the curtain and show who he really is. And uh, and everybody's like is stunned, like, wow, did, did you just do that? But I guess it was because they he was rescuing them he was like not letting something bad happen to them all it was kind of like wow you know that that was amazing you obviously were watching out for us and when the sheriff shows up you know he's concerned he's like you know these these guys are bad and we're gonna be around and then when the second violent scene happens which i think is just freaking amazing the David Cronenberg has a way of doing things with the human body <laughs> that just makes you cringe. And, you know, and as with the job I used to do, I've seen a lot of this stuff for real. But when you are watching a movie and you know you're watching a movie and you see this stuff happen and you're like, Oh, that is that looks so real. I, it just makes me cringe and kind of like gives me this weird feeling in my tummy when I watch David, and, and I it's probably why I enjoy him so much. Um, but um, first of all, I did not know that this was a David Cronenberg movie. When I saw that, I was like, the David Cronenberg? Nah, this isn't a horror movie. Well, yeah, thank you for clearing that up, Jamie. Um. <laughs> and it's it's just such a and I was going to mention that you know the, the bruise on her back and I was like wow I mean this is like for it was good it was gory and I loved it and the scene with at the very end when um, he comes in and he 
you know, he's just staring at his family having dinner. And what the kids do and what the wife does, it's just like, well, two out of three are okay with him. I don't know. But that kid, I, and just what he does to, to the bullies, the high school, thinking, well, you know, that's what my that's what my dad did, so why can't I do it? I, I don't get why Vigo got so pissed at him, but maybe because he didn't want to see his son go down the same route he did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, with me, with my kids and even with my grandson, you know, I'm like, okay, look, the first time they hit you, you say stop. Second time they hit you, you move away. Third time they hit you, you better throw a punch back. And that's how I've taught my kids. And that's how I'm teaching this little man because, you know, you make yourself a target you're done for. And that's what this kid did. I mean, he did not make himself a target. And as, like he said, you know, they've been riding my ass all year. Mm-hmm. Well, he took care of that. And he took care of that. Good. I mean, he was, I, I was surprised as such that little dude was, did all that. You know, I was like, Ooh, good on you. Yeah, yeah, I don't ever feel sorry for the bullies in the situation mm-hmm. where they get sent to the hospital. Like, well then stop picking on people. You right? asshole. You exactly. know, like, in my household, when something like that happens, we go, good. <laughs> exactly. That's right? what you get. You know, that is exactly what you get. And if my kid did that to protect himself, I'm not going to be mad at him for it. No. You know, I'm going to be like in Andy Griffith when Opie comes in with his first shiner, you know, and um, he's all grinning ear to ear because he's got a black eye. But it mean, but it's because he stood up. He stood up for himself. He stood up to the bully. And I'm not advocating people go around starting fights, but... But you better damn well finish them. But I I am okay with you if you finish it. You know, you don't let somebody beat you into the ground. Mm -mm. That is is not... uh, That is just not my way. But um, the, the, the scene in the house... That that is awesome too. I mean, when he's trying to put the wire, he sticks his hand up there, and then you see the the wire cutting into his hand, and I'm like, ow! But just just the way he just does everything, and and I I don't know. I think it's mostly Cronenberg, his vision. It, it just so fits so well with this because you're not expecting. I don't know. I wasn't expecting the gore, especially when uh, the, the the baby girl at the very beginning. Uh, I was like, well, that came out of left field, and that's awesome. <laughs> so I, I really enjoyed this film, and I have to say, this was the first time watch for me. Oh, nice. Oh, nice so uh, I was like, wow. Well, I thank you very much, because now I have this other movie that I can add to my I Like Cronenberg list. Have you seen, have you seen Easter Promises? I, I enjoy that as well. That's the uh, one that came after. No, no, I have not. That, that, that has Vigo in it as well. It's like a, That's like actually a, the that is actually the only Cronenberg film I've never seen is Eastern Promises. Oh, you missed that all that naked uh, Vigo Mortensen bathhouse fighting in that movie. It's good stuff. <gasps> oh, is that the one where he's the Russian? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Pretty, pretty good. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Iris. Go ahead. No, but that that was basically it. I mean, I I really enjoyed it and. It's just so good. It's fast moving. It's fast paced. You you don't there's there's really not a lull 
and the the violence and the, and the gunfights and everything are are so well spaced throughout the movie that you're you're it's not like in your face, but then you're not bored with all the extra talking and the familial thing and all that. So yeah, it's a very enjoyable movie. Yeah, I I dig it as well. I mean, it's it's I call Cronenberg's first complete film, and that that sounds insulting, and it's not really because I think that this is the first one. That had a full, fully realized, cohesive story and a fully realized conclusion, and uh, I do love Cronenberg's just just about everything. I love I love Cronenberg's stuff, but this one, when this one hit, and I found out that he was directing it, he didn't write it, of course, like Jamie mentioned. But I, I my my mind was blown that he could, you know, direct such hard hitting drama like we get in this movie, and I. I I wasn't surprised. But my, my, it was it was such a such a takeaway from the stuff that you're used to, you know, Videodrome, Rabid, Scanners, Nola's Magic Vagina, and The Brood. You know, it's really weird stuff. We get to these real human characters that have to make really tough decisions. I I, I think that this was a real wake up call for my love of Cronenberg and what what that means to say that I love Cronenberg because. This was something that was totally different than anything he's ever made, and he knocked it out of the fucking park. I mean, he had he assembled this group. They assembled this group of actors. I think that mentioned the how, how short a time Stephen McCaddy had on screen, but the time that he had on screen made you think, "Wow, this guy is a real scumbag," and they wrote him very, very well. And it's Stephen McCaddy, so I, I'm not surprised. I love every, I love everything he's been in that I've seen, and. Uh, when they show up to the diner, it's it's almost like a surprise that they saw who they saw, but th- then again, they're they're trying to trying to case the joint, so they don't quite realize it yet. And I I, I one of the biggest things that, that blows my mind about this film is I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is a, this is like an amnesia situation, and like something clicked in his brain. That's what brought back you know this man that he used to be. Or if he's self-aware the whole time that he's he's playing the long con with his family, who he obviously loves, because by the time a point in this there's a point in this film where it really kicks in to where he's genuinely trying to protect his family by by the only way he knows how at at at, at a certain point because these bad men know just where he is, and there's only one more way to go, and I think this all sums it up in the scene where. He's got his bag packed, and he's he's having. I forget what if he has like a full conversation with his wife, but he's gonna go leave to go to go see his brother, played by William Hurt, and this has to be the final conclusion for him to protect his his all this that he's built up. I, I, it's 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 really bad for me to call it a long con because it seems like what he's built up. He genuinely loves his wife. He genuinely loves his family, but he's he's this thing, and this thing is the only thing that's going to get him out of this mess. But by, by any means necessary, because they're never going to stop coming, obviously. Yeah, it's kind of John Wickian, in a way, yeah. you know. Um, uh, and I I have to say, too, I guess it's kind of ambiguous as to where we're left with the two of them at the end. I kind of feel like there's hope. Uh, as a matter of fact... I want to say the last line of the script, the original screenplay, was "There's hope," not li- not spoken line, but as in just 
it was on the it was on the page. So as a direction, um, I can understand what she's going through. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I haven't been through that, but I mean, I get how someone that you have known for so long and you've trusted with everything and then you find out everything was a lie. Um, and like the things that she pointed out, like their family name, where did that even come from? I don't know. You know, uh, and his answer, it was available, which is just very dark. Um, <laughs> why, why was it available? Where, where did it come from? But, um, all of these things that she's attempting to come to terms with, I understand that at the same time though, I feel like if I were in her place, knowing him for who he is now, and I don't think there's any question at least there wouldn't be in my mind that he is who he is now. You know, he is who he says he is now. He has this past, but I don't think that has to define who he is now. And so you've lived with him long enough. You know what kind of man he is. That would be good enough for me, I think. Yeah, Plus, I, I, uh, you know, like you know you he's said, a badass. Though, if anything if, if anything ever happens, you're good. Like you <laughs> said, with the conclusion, the conclusion of the film, though, it was unspoken. He comes inside... He sits at the table with dinner with his family like 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 clockwork, like normal. But in a way, he kind of gives her a look like, you know what, we're, we're going to be all right now. You know, because I did Yeah, but the look on her face is what gives me pause because... Well, she, she, she's probably wondering what the hell he did. But, but, you know, at the same time, it's almost like, you know, daddy took care of things. You know, d- don't worry about it, you know. I totally get that, too, as in she's kind of tr- still trying to figure out... What's next? Yeah. I, I I like that they left it like open ended though, because you don't quite yeah. quite sure what's gonna happen next. Is she gonna settle? Is she gonna leave? You, you don't know what's gonna happen next. And I I I, I like to think they they lived you know happily settling after, but you know it's just cause nobody's gonna be ever happy because the, the the turmoil they went through. And I I didn't mention Ed Harris, but Ed Harris is just Ed Harris in this movie. He's amazing. You know he's just he comes into town after, you know, Stephen McCaddy is dispatched and his, his buddy basically just just to, just to shake it up because he comes in to the diner just calling him by, you know, his given name, which is Joey. And, you know, just 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 to almost like awaken the beast. Like, yeah, I'm going to be here for a while until you do something about it. And when he does something about it, we that that, that switch happens. And you get that great wide shot when, you know. His son is kidnapped by these men now, and he has to do what he has to do. So he just starts blowing motherfuckers away, and you know, I, yeah, I love that, it. That palm to the nose scene is amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love that shit. Um, Ed Harris in this reminds me of his character in the firm. Where in the firm, I mean, it's a completely different end of the law. In the firm, he is a he's a, a fed. But he is just around enough to poke the bear. Like, he just keeps showing up and poking at Tom Cruise the whole time. Like, you know, because he wants him to do these things because he wants to, like, he wants to get these mob guys. But he keeps, like, poking him and he's he's kind of a dick about it. But that's kind of who he, that's how he reminds me, or he reminds me of that character in this film. Just a little bit darker and with only one eye. But um, he's very good at that. Like Ed, Ed Harris on the whole is just very good at being that kind of character. He's got yeah, two eyes. Like... One's, one's just kind of hanging out though because of that thing he did with the barbed wire, which is this. I don't even yeah. want to know what yeah. happened, you know, to do that to an eye. You know? Yeah. And speaking of Ed Harris, I mean, 
him as a bad guy. I like him better as a bad guy than a good guy. Uh, oh, the man yeah. in the the man in black uh, for Westworld. Oh my God, he, yeah. he's just wicked. Yeah, and I I enjoy him so much that way. He's very good. He's 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 one of those people that you don't necessarily think about all the time, but whenever he does show up, I get excited. Like I, I'm I'm happy to see him there. Oh, yeah, because he's yeah. got such presence. Mm-hmm. But he's not a name that flies off the tip of my tongue anytime I think of anytime I'm trying to name actors or whatever. But he's um, but he's he's really really good. I don't think he gets necessarily the accolades that he deserves. I think but, he chooses. I think he chooses roles very well. I mean, if you want to look yeah. for a, a good one that probably nobody's seen, look for Appaloosa. He's pretty great in that movie. That's a great western, and uh, um. Yeah, so he, I think he's just really great at picking roles. Hey, yeah, I will go along with that. And I just watched Creepshow. He's a hell of a good dancer, too. So there's Yes, that, he know. is. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that disco. Yes. That one song. And he can't move away from a headstone. It's, it's going very slowly, but I'm, I digress. <laughs> no, I, I, I dig it, though. And I, I, I love that it's open-ended, like I said. I love all the characters in this film that you you just get to spend a little time with, and then they're they just kind of go away, and they get they they go away in a in a pretty grimacy way. Like I said, then you know you're in a fucking Cronenberg movie when you see the guy's face smashed into the floor. You see that the the that the blood coming from his mouth. He just like busted open, and like yeah, this is a Cronenberg film, and it just just showed us right now why it's so good. And God. I, I I love I love it I love it like I said it's my my first fully realized thing that Cronenberg is a complete director he's been, he was a great director before but this film this film really pushed it over the edge and proved that he could do something else without even trying it just seemed like he wasn't trying and it it just it just all works and I, I love it but um Iris anything else to say, like to say about the film and uh, what do you give it one to ten. Um, no, I don't have much to say. This is a, a 9.5. <laughs> I know I'm scoring high today, but um, these movies just really just blew me away today, especially this one. This one, I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I knew it was Vigo, and I had it confused with another movie that he's in where he's kind of like, you know, a fighter type of guy, and he has a little girl, and he's taught her to fight. Um, but... Yeah, this was great. Uh, extremely unexpected for me. Uh, great violence because you know I I do like that in my movies, and beautiful gore. This was this was perfect. Cool, um, Jamie. Uh, this one is a ten for me. I don't. I can't think of a single a single thing, a single thing that I would change. I love everyone's performance. I love. I love the turn, and like I said, it really got me because I wasn't, I didn't know anything about it going into it. And I think if you go into it that way, it's so effective. It just, because the performances are so dead on that it really works. So, yeah, it was a a nice little film. I was happy to revisit it, so, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Jamie. That, that's, that's, it's a 10. There's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. And that's that's what makes it a, a perfect ten. It's a perfect movie, and uh, I love I love it, man. I don't get this. I don't get these kind of feelings for, from, uh, from from shivers. You know, that's all I'm saying. It's a 
it hits me in all the feels and the, the, the violence and the gore and the drama and the, the, the just the human condition in general. It's all it's all shining in this film, so it's ten out of ten. But um it's a fucking, a fucking ten. You know, I got I gotta I gotta put the Billy Bob in there one day. <laughs> when we have a ten <laughs> you know um, who who else I, I, that I actually thought about this when I was watching the film? Who else chooses their roles very carefully is William Hurt. Yeah. And he is an actor that doesn't work a lot at all. <laughs> but when he does, he fucking works. You know, like you when you see him in a movie, you know, you've seen him in a movie. And I respect that. You know, he's not somebody who's out there all the time. He's not on the you don't see his name in the tabloids. You don't see him on TMZ. No, I mean, he's but he's been around forever and he's always been a well-respected actor. It's like a um, here's a good example. AI, artificial intelligence, is a convoluted movie that's way too long. But when he shows up in the end as the creator, his presence is felt and it it makes that that ending a little easier to swallow, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just he always has a, a there's a lot of weight to his characters and they're he, I don't know it's just I love him in this I love him he's kind of like um oh not Gerard Depardieu the um what's his name my left foot um Jeffrey Rush no no oh no uh, there will be blood oh 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 Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis in that, yeah, he shows up to make a movie like every 10 years or so. But when he does, he, he, uh, the Academy notices, <laughs> the Academy notices him, you know, it's like, uh, it, that just, that just always cracks me up when you have an actor that is just that damn good that they don't even have to work that often, but they just pick and choose whatever they want to do. And, um, kind of makes you wonder what he's doing on the, uh, the rest of the time though. Like, is is he living very modestly? Is he just very good with his money? What is he doing? <laughs> like I don't know. But um, is he doing theater somewhere? I have no idea what he's doing. But he's, but he just pops up every now and again. And you're like, oh shit, he's a thing. I forgot, you know. But um, yeah, nice a nice addition, uh, a fun addition, and they played off each other very well. Yes, but, uh, that's the end of this one, and we'll uh, turn right back to close out the show. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little popping history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. 
Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. We've been going long, we've been going long on this one, so I'm not even going to think about dead people right now. But uh, <laughs> thank you for, for my lovely ladies for coming to the show, Jamie and uh, Iris, of course. Uh, Iris, tell the folks what you got coming up. Well, what we have coming up is a, a great little movie called El Topo, uh, which is going to be on the Exploitation Filmcast. And uh, you could find that at exploitationfilmcast.libsyn.com. If you want to check those out, and we just uh, that just came out, and the one before that was the Volunteers, which is great because you have four girls that should be nice and proper, and they're just shooting up the town and raping men, and it's great. Nice. Uh, so yeah, that's what we have coming up, and then um, we are trying to get together as uh, the uh, theme warriors uh, to record, hopefully sometime soon. But besides that, uh, that's all I've got going on. Cool. Jamie? Uh, let's see. Well, as far as ABCs go, we did have a Colossal Collection come out recently. If you are a fan of Andy Sedaris films, then you will want to check that out because we covered the entire Andy Sedaris box set, Girls, Guns, and G-Strings, and that was Which really... Which is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's super fun. And we go really into those movies and uh, just talk about all of them and in the in our colossal collection fashion which is we don't spend two hours talking about each movie we just go through but it's it's fun you get you get to because we watch them in chronological order those films have a a a through line they have a lot of the same characters and it's fun to see the progression of that so if you're a fan of those films i would say check it out if you're not a fan of those films if you have no idea what i'm talking about then i say check it out because you might decide you then want to watch them because they're a lot of fun those movies are fun um dave z, dave z spend that five bucks buddy you hear me now spend that five bucks <laughs> Right. Um, we are about to record episode V uh, this coming weekend. And uh, so that will be Vamp, Venom, uh, not the superhero movie, but the or super villain movie. But the um, there's a, a horror film uh, it's called a snake Venom film, right? a few years ago. Huh? Is it a snake film, right? Snake film? No, no, no. It's um, it's basically a uh, it's more like a slasher. I guess. Okay. I, I um, it it's very, uh, it's no one ever talks about it. And that's, well, that's why we're doing it on the show. It's pretty good. Um, so let's see, Vamp, Venom, and my choice was Village of the Damned from 1960. Nice. Uh, nice. So we're going to be recording that episode this weekend. So look for that to be coming out soon. And uh, then, of course, Married with Children podcast drops weekly. Well, it did drop weekly during the summer. We're going to be doing every other week. But um, that basically is just us going through the episodes of Married with Children. So there's that. Uh, I think that's all I'm doing right now. So, yeah. Oh, except uh, to Teapot Summer Series is coming up soon. Uh, We're covering the 1990s. And, oh, boy. Hear myself and Jamie on those episodes, people. Check it out. Get get excited uh, for some 90s stuff. That's going to be something. I've got 92 and 93. Gary, you're on what ninety 
1990 and 1997. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So you get super early and then super late in the decade. That's kind of cool. You'll get to see how that's nice, like a bookend. So nice mine balance, are two, I think. Mine are two crappy years right next to each other. Yeah, you, so. you got you got Ryan Lewis on that deal. Right? <laughs> Jamie's the new Ryan Lewis. Okay? <laughs> I can't do that voice. Well, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you've heard the 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 teapots, um, like Russian roulette thing, yeah, Ryan notoriously gets a really shitty pick, and you know it's always a much more enjoyable review when he gets a shitty pick. Poor thing. Duncan, let me tell you, I can't do it either. You know, I'll start sounding like Chris Klein or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this show the um, the two Jake Venom commentaries can both be found on LegionPodcast.com with a lot of other great shows as well. <clears throat> um, I'll go through some transitions with two drink. It's going to be having a different lineup. Probably not when you hear this, but the last show we're going to do together with myself, uh, Suzanne, Willis, Nudie, and probably Jake the Snake, and hopefully Gil. Hopefully we get Gil back for this last episode of us together, because Gil is one of the ones that kickstarted this uh, thing with me. And we're going to finish out the Mad Max series, and we're doing Fury, Fury Road to finish out that series, and I really hope Gil can make it because it would it would make it like uh it'd make it so great if Gil could make it. He's a he's a family man now. I don't see much on social media at all lately, actually. So hopefully I can get a even get a hold of him. That'd be amazing. Uh, Fleas and Flicks charity auction. I will announce stuff as I get stuff in. I'm 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 waiting for for awesome some awesomeness to come in the mail, and I I've gotten some stuff, but um there's a lot of stuff in the wind. I got conventions coming up. Um, I mentioned. On uh, I think on the last NFW commentaries that there's a Night of the Creeps reunion happening at Flashback Weekend in August, and I've already purchased two posters, uh, one for myself and one for one of you lucky people who are gonna bid on that, and it'd be a nice piece for somebody to have or from a from a great movie. And uh, yeah, more to come for that. But um, yeah, I always support the Patreon uh feed for 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 Legion. Go uh donate so we can uh Bo can. Bo can keep the lights on, people. It'd be nice for you to guys to do that. And, uh, and, yeah, that's about it for this one. I'm really reaching, really drawing straws here I'm tired, I'm hungry. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of this. And, uh, thanks for listening. Because always remember the two the, the two random commentaries at the Sim Beef Podcast. I'm not going to edit that thing out. If you got beef, we've got the grinder. See y'all next time.